And after a day off on Tuesday, we're back here in the saddle for the Wednesday Y'all Show. Hello, John Rawl is my name. I am the voice of all things Southern, and it is great to be back in the Y'all Chair today as we're going to go through three hours of filling you in on what's going on across the Southeast as we are heard on awesome radio stations in Dixie each and every day, and also to all of our great podcast listeners. Apologies once again that we missed our Tuesday show. Had a little outpatient medical procedure. Everything's good. Feeling a little sore, but uh, all systems go. And as long as my voice will cooperate, we'll get through these next three hours. But it's great, and I appreciate all the fine medical care that I received. And uh, that's enough about all about all I want to say about that. Yeah, I don't have medical problems too often, but I did have something that needed to be addressed, and we took care of it. I think and I'll. Go back next week after the show, of course, after a, a, an episode of the Y'all Show and, and see the surgeon. Make sure everything's looking good, feeling good. But if I'm a little slow today, it's because I'm a little sore. But uh, all's good. And no, I did not get a, a, a breast reduction or some other kind of crazy procedure that people are doing these days. I didn't get a tummy tuck. Didn't get my uh, belly stapled or whatever people are doing. Just... Another procedure, kind of standard stuff. But anyway, thank y'all for bearing with me and, and getting me through on the Tuesday Y'all Show. We've got a very busy show today. I want to remind you, you can email us here at the Y'all Show anytime. The way to do that is drop us an email. Our email address is mail at yall.com. It's right there available for you to, to get us anytime you feel like it at mail at y'all.com. And we would love, 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 love to hear from you if you do have the opportunity to drop us a question. Maybe you've got a comment, you've got something else on your mind. We would love to hear about it right here at the show that shakes the Southland. Coming up on today's Y'all Show, we've got headlines from across the Southeast, including in Chattanooga on Tuesday, Ron DeSantis getting in a little bit of a fender bender. And I'll let you know what's going on in the lookout area. The scenic city, I believe is actually what it's called. With Ron DeSantis, as he's got a, a kind of, you could say, a political campaign that's crashing and burning. And he literally was in a car crash on Tuesday. We'll fill you in on the latest out of Hamilton County, Tennessee. Also in our story, the stories of today, we'll have sports coverage coming up later. And we've got the ACC Media Days, which began on Tuesday in Charlotte. And this hour, you're going to hear from the head coach of the Miami Hurricanes. He's getting ready for his second season at the U. Former Hurricane player Mario Cristobal at the microphone Tuesday in Charlotte. We'll learn a little more about what his future is and how the Hurricanes are going to get back to greatness when we have our ACC update coming up later this hour and other sports happenings across the South that we'll cover as well. And then before we get out of here this hour, we've got hashtag Hullably where we find fun stuff on social media. And you know what? We put it right there for you to enjoy. All that's coming up in Hour number one today. Hour number two, it's more headlines and it's more coverage of the ACC Media Days. As we're going to hear from the head coach of the Ramblin' Wreck of Georgia Tech. He's a new coach. Brent Key, a former Georgia Tech player, took over for Jeff Collins. And he was at the microphone Tuesday. And he had a lot to say, including about the nemesis of Tech fans, those hated Georgia Bulldogs. To hell with Georgia, they would say, in Atlanta and beyond all the Tech alums. And Key is not enjoying his time so far back in Georgia 
because those dogs are back-to-back -back national champions. And guess what? Tech has not knocked off those dogs in a number of years. He's going to try to change that. As a player, Brent Key went 3-1 and one against Georgia back in the 1990s. And one of those victories was over Kirby Smart. We will hear from the first-year head coach of Georgia Tech, Brent Key, in our ACC coverage of our number two. Plus, we'll also fill you in on the ACC versus SEC game that's going to be College Game Day's first game of the year this year from right there in Charlotte. We'll let you know about Carolina versus Carolina. All that in our coverage of our number two. Plus, in our number two, a Virginia gal is celebrating a birthday today. Happy birthday. No, no, I'm sorry. I got my hours mixed up. <laughs> Hold on. We are going to celebrate that Virginia girl who's got a birthday, but I want to say that one for hour three. Hour two is going to wrap up with our Southern Business Spotlight. And because I was in the hospital briefly on Tuesday, I just, I just want to help everybody out if I can. So I found an article at CNBC, and that network's Jordan Irby, or rather, Jaden Irby has put up an actual report that you can watch on YouTube, and I found that. And I'm going to play a portion of this thing. It's a article slash report called "Why Healthcare Costs So Much in America," and she does a great job of having guests and helps explain exactly what in the heck is going on with healthcare. Because I have not received a bill yet for my stay, brief stay as it was earlier this week. I'm dreading getting that thing in the mail. Now, I got insurance. We all should have insurance, right? But it's still going to probably cost me a lot of money. And why is that the case? Well, again, CNBC is going to help us learn more about why things cost so much in the healthcare world. And that will be part of our Southern Business Spotlight coming up in hour number two. Hour number three, more headlines, more ACC coverage. In fact, we're going to hear from the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference when we get to our final hour, Jim Phillips. And he was at the microphone answering questions about revenue sharing as the ACC certainly trails conferences like the Big Ten and SEC for paychecks. So we'll hear from the commissioner in hour number three and other sports headlines from across both college football and other sports. We've got a Southerner who cashed in on Tuesday with the biggest salary contract any NBA players ever had. I'm going to let you know more about the Georgia star, the native Georgian, who's a Boston Celtic and now is the richest guy in the NBA. And it's not who you might be thinking of. In fact, most of you may not have even heard of this guy if you're not keeping up with the NBA on a day-to-day -day basis. But congratulations to this Peach State native in a, in a big payday. A Peach State payday for sure. All that coming up in our sports coverage of Hour 3. And now back to our Virginian who's got a birthday today. We want to say happy, happy birthday to Sandra Bullock, who was born in Virginia on this day in 1964. She's now 59 years old. She was born in Arlington County. I'm going to let you know more about her background. Her daddy was a native of Birmingham, and her mom's from Germany. And we'll go through some of her filmography and some of the big films that she's famous for. Perhaps her best role, she played a Memphis woman. And she played Leanne Tui in The Blind Side. That's the movie that she got, I think, her first Oscar. And first and only, as far as I know. Sandra Bullock. And we'll also have some a bit of an audio from her as earlier this year she was interviewed 
on CBS Sunday morning. And we're going to go back a couple of months to the reporter, Tracy Smith, who sat down with Sandra Bullock. And we'll learn more about this lady again, sort of celebrating a birthday today, Sandra Bullock. Congratulations. More of that is part of our Southern showcase, history slash showcase of Southerners coming up in our final hour. So let's get into today's headlines here on the Y'all Show. Thank you again for being a part of it. So Ron DeSantis, he's got a political campaign that's not doing all that great these days. And Tuesday it was a, a crash, literally a crash in his campaign plans as he was involved in a multi-car accident in the Chattanooga area as he traveled in a motorcade to a campaign stop. And there was a chain crash, a reaction crash on I-75 in Chattanooga where this happened during rush hour traffic. It was right around 8.15 in the morning. Four cars in the motorcade all hit one another. All the vehicles involved in the crash were government vehicles taking Ron DeSantis and his team to a scheduled event. DeSantis was not hurt, according to Chattanooga police. Now, he's got protection from the Florida law enforcement agencies, and he can he actually kept on to the campaign event. A female staff member suffered a minor injury in the crash and was treated at the event, according to Chattanooga police. But Ron DeSantis, again, in a little bit of a fender bender, Tuesday, out in Chattanooga early. And I guess it's a state like Tennessee that he needs to try to catch up with Donald Trump. He is likely not going to beat him in South Carolina, the first state that's going to have a importance here in the South when it comes to primary time. But if he can roar ahead in states like Tennessee and, of course, in his native Florida, then the nomination isn't exactly going to be a, a sure thing for Donald J. Trump. But we are glad that DeSantis is okay. And now if he could just get his campaign back on the right track, too, as he's been having to let people go and all of the launch problems that he had, it's not been the best couple of weeks for the Florida governor. Sad news out of North Carolina. Have you heard about this? Three men were found dead at a North Carolina gas station, and they're all Lance Corporals in the United States Marine Corps stationed at nearby Camp Lejeune. That, according to the Marine Corps, as they put out a press release on Tuesday. Deputies from the Pender County, North Carolina Sheriff's Office found the three men unresponsive Sunday morning in a privately owned car at a Speedway gas station in Hampstead, North Carolina, which is about 30 miles from Camp Lejeune. And they went there and found these three men unresponsive as they went there on a missing person call. The cause of death has not been released, according to the sheriff's office. And a sad thing, again, three Marines dying in a car together. 19-year-old Tanner Kaltenberg of Wisconsin, a man from Oklahoma, Marax Dockery, he's 23, from Potawatomi, Oklahoma, and then a Naples, Florida native, Yvonne Garcia, all dying in this car at this gas station. You have to wonder if there wasn't some kind of leak of some type in the car or perhaps these guys were doing something they shouldn't have been doing and got a hold of it's being investigated but right now three marines now dead after being found at this north carolina gas station 
Quite a surprise business-wise, as UPS evidently has reached a tentative agreement with its 340,000-person union, and that should help avoid a strike that threatened to disrupt package deliveries for millions of businesses and all you out there who are waiting on your dog food to get delivered at your house. (laughs) This agreement announced on Tuesday is the first that UPS and the Teamster had returned to the table after a bunch of negotiations had broken down earlier in July. So it looks like the UPS strike is going to not happen for UPS. The Teamsters held the agreement as historic. Now, it still needs union members' approval. But under this new UPS agreement, full and part-time workers will get $2.75 more per hour this year and seven fifty more over the duration of a five-year contract. The agreement also includes a provision to increase starting pay for part-time workers. That's going to go from sixteen twenty an hour to $21, and the average pay for part-timers had been $20. In fact, Teamsters President Sean O'Brien said in a statement that UPS put $30 billion more on the table due to the negotiations, saying the deal sets a new standard in the labor movement. Now, one thing I know that really according to my inside sources at UPS, and I've got at least one, I've got a mole. (laughs) According to my inside UPS mole, UPS and its workers were never fully compensated, never fully thanked, I don't think even, for the incredible bravery and sacrifice they did during COVID. I don't know if FedEx was properly compensated and rewarded either. But for UPS, according to my mole, they worked their fannies off in COVID. They went out to people's houses and delivered with masks on, with everything you needed, but they kept it going. The country kept going. And I don't know if the government kicked in and rewarded the company for the heroic deed done by the drivers, the people at the warehouses, all the planes that flew, but we, we wouldn't have made it without UPS keeping the commerce going and, of course, FedEx its part and even the mail service. And I, I think a large part of what the workers were upset about was the way they were treated during COVID. They, they weren't properly rewarded. You would have thought that UPS would have given everybody a nice bonus, and I don't think that happened. And while talking to my mole at UPS, it reminded me that as much as we love our dollar generals of the South, that's the place I go to more than any place for some of the basic needs. I don't think they were properly rewarded. Now, Dollar General, if you're listening, please correct me. But I know at the time, I talked to several different employees of that Nashville-based grocery store chain, I guess you could call it, retail chain, and they were really on the front lines of COVID. I mean, when you go to a Dollar General and you're working that cashier there at the front of the store, you're seeing so many people come right through there from all walks of life, people that care less about hygiene. And yeah, they, in some cases, put up the little screen to protect them, but they're still having to deal with people. And I just hope that all those people who work their fannies off, and some of them might have even died, and that's the case for UPS too. I'm sure there were workers who lost their life because they were out working hard and came down with the awful coronavirus, the China virus, if you will. But UPS now looks like they're going to be back to work. So BJF, get on the job. That's my mole. 
Uh, no, no more complaining. You're going to be making more money. You, you can give me some more money, sir. I want it now. And stop complaining about your job and not making enough money. Golly. I think that boy's going to retire after like two years on the job, the way it's going there. Uh, and, and I guess a big part of that is their union. So, hey, good for them. Good for them. I'm glad they can find a solution. Now if those writers and actors out in Hollywood could figure out a solution, we'll be all right there. But we could live without movies and TV shows. We can't live without our dog food being delivered by those cute guys in their shorts working for UPS, right? <laughs> Let's go to Nashville now. And Vanderbilt University Medical Center is being sued by its transgender clinic patients. And they're accusing the Vanderbilt University Medical Center of violating their privacy by turning their records over to Tennessee's Attorney General. Now, Vanderbilt's been on the front lines of gender reassignment surgeries and things like that. And they've got a transgender clinic at the old Hundred Oaks Mall in Nashville. And in Nashville Chancery Court earlier this week, two patients saying they were among more than 100 people whose records were sent by Vanderbilt to Attorney General Jonathan Skirmetti. His office said it is examining medical billing in a run-of-the-mill fraud investigation that isn't directed at patients or their families. Vanderbilt has said it was required by law to comply. But the patients say Vanderbilt was aware that Tennessee authorities are hostile toward the rights of transgender people and should have removed their personally identifying information before turning the records over. So this is an ongoing deal in Nashville that gets a little private if you will. Keeping the transgender theme going, the university that most people in the state of Louisiana love dearly, Louisiana State University, a.k.a. LSU, it's in the news because state police are investigating after LSU has barred a graduate student from teaching after officials said the student left a profane phone message for a Louisiana state lawmaker. Local news outlets in Baton Rouge report that the university identified the student as Marcus Venable, and officials say that Venable left a message for a lawmaker who voted to ban gender-affirming care for transgender youth. And Mike Fessy, a Republican from Homa, Louisiana, he's a state senator, said he contacted the Terrebonne Parish Sheriff's Office after receiving the voicemail on Tuesday, that's the day lawmakers voted to override John Bell Edwards' veto of the ban. This would have been last Tuesday. In a copy of the voicemail that spread widely on social media this week, Venable told the state senator that he can't wait to see his name in the obituaries and makes a reference to putting his F-word, F-word, A-double-S in the ground. Y- y'all got all that? Now, Fessy argued during the debate that people who had received treatment for gender dysphoria when younger than 18 regretted it and now hate their parents for letting this happen to them. We will find out what goes on again. The university barring this graduate student from teaching after that phone call made to a lawmaker. Something tells me they're going to change their mind before the semester starts and he'll be back teaching uh just got a sneaky feeling lsu's going to reverse course there at the old war school in baton rouge the state treasurer of arkansas is stepping down because of health concerns 
State Treasurer Mark Lowry's office confirmed his retirement effective September 30th. The statement noted that the Arkansas State Treasurer was retiring due to health issues related to a pair of strokes that he suffered in 2022. He got one in March and then another one happened in June. A family statement noted that it was his dream to help those living in the natural state. So we wish him well again having to step down because of health issues. Your state treasurer in the natural state, Mark Lowry, leaving office in a few weeks. And lastly, in our headlines for this opening hour, if you are like me and you prefer human beings to the old self-checkouts, uh-uh, you're going to be in bad, bad shape if you're around Franklin, Tennessee, especially at the Kroger in the Cool Springs Mall area, because that Kroger in Middle Tennessee is going to get rid of all cashiers and baggers, and they're going to be a Kroger that is a completely all-self-checkout at the Franklin, Tennessee Kroger at Cool Springs. And it was selected that location because of the rate of customers who were already using self-checkout According to Kroger's manager in the Nashville division, these self-checkouts allow customers to scan and bag their own items. It's a fast, friendly experience. I don't know about y'all, but I don't think it's friendly, and sometimes it's not even fast. So, yeah, this Kroger, don't get too weirded out <laughs> if you're like me and you're going going to go in there. I, I'm trying to think if I've been to this Kroger. I guess I have as a former resident of Franklin. I don't know if this particular Kroger was there back in in the good old days or not, but I've been to a lot of Krogers. I'm still going to go to the ones that's got human beings working there doing the whole beep, beep, checking the groceries when I come through the aisle. I, I like that interaction with the, the, the people that are right there. Kind of like we were bragging on the UPS workers and the Dollar General people. Don't forget our grocery store workers were working their fannies off during the pandemic and, and helped get us through. There's a lot of people that need to be thanked. We need to really tell the pe- people up there in the White House, if they would wake up for a minute, and I mean wake up, that we really should have a, a day of appreciation and a great memorial to those who were lost during COVID. That's just an idea. But another part of that, and as sad as it was to lose the thousands, I guess it would be over a million people, I think is the count, that we also, as a country, as a society, for the most part, I know it's still people getting COVID, but for the most part, we've come through the darkest part of it, it appears. Thank God. I'm seeing here, watching the SEC media days and ACC media days going on right now, I think back to two and three years ago where people were hardly even able to get close to any of these players and coaches because it was so freakish to get close to interaction and i think we're behind we're beyond some of that madness thank goodness when the y'all show comes back speaking of acc media days we're going to take you to charlotte where the head coach of the miami hurricanes was at the microphone on tuesday we'll hear from mario cristobal and learn more about what the U's got on the schedule for 2023 all that's part of our southern sports update and it's coming up next
And that is the fight song of the Miami Hurricanes here on the Y'all Show. We're getting you ready for the start of college football. Miami begins its season. This is a crazy matchup, y'all. And I'm going to be the first to tell you that put money on this bet. A thousand percent put money on the bet that I'm about to tell you because there's absolutely no way you're going to lose on this bet. Do y'all know who the Miami Hurricanes play on their first game, which is going to be on a Friday night? The Miami Hurricanes, September 1st, are going to be playing Miami. (laughs) It is the long-anticipated battle of the two Miamis. The one out of Ohio, the one out of Florida. And I know that people out of Miami have forever said, for God's sakes, would that school, Ben Roethlisberger University, would it please change its name so the one down in Carl Gables would be the undisputed Miami of America? But no, actually Miami of Ohio is probably thinking that other school should change their name because I think Miami, Ohio is a lot older and has got a great football history of its own there in the area northwest of Cincinnati where it's located. But it's Miami versus Miami game one for Mario Cristobal for 2023. And proud to play the Miami fight song. Proud to talk about ACC football here for a minute as ACC Media Days 2023 got going on Tuesday in Uptown Charlotte. I'm John Rawl. This is the show covering everything Southern. We had SEC coverage last week out of Nashville this week. In the Queen City, ACC coaches are gathering to talk about their conference, a conference that has put national championships in its trophy case throughout the last few years, primarily thanks to Clemson. But Miami has gone back to the well. They've gone back to a former player in Mario Cristobal. He was courted to come to Miami after his time successfully spent coaching the Oregon Ducks. And he came back last year, was his first year. Things didn't go quite the way I'm sure Coach Cristobal would have preferred for the U. But Tuesday, he was pretty optimistic that his team is going to find its way in 2023. Let's go in and hear a little portion of Coach Cristobal at Media Days for the ACC on Tuesday. It starts with that right there, elite people that are elite athletes and that hold really, really high standards. So... I think um, whenever you start up at a program again and and it has a rebuilding aspect, um, you have to sometimes go through a season like that and not make any excuses or sugarcoat it, but you go directly at the things that need to be addressed, and it starts with people. People in the locker room, people on the coaching staff, people in the support staff role, and what we feel that we have done is that we have uh, added some elite components in the personnel department, uh, some unique additions you know, at the line of scrimmage, outside on the perimeter, you know, in the secondary, at linebacker. Um, I felt like our culture, led and driven by our team leaders, has created ownership in our program. In other words, the steps that you cannot skip, those things have been in full force since the end of last season, and it's led to a great offseason, a great uh, signing day class, the best in our school's history, uh, a top 10 portal class, most importantly, the retainment of our top players and top leaders led to a great spring and now has had a great summer. So now we're, we're eager to get to camp so we could put all that to good use. And bottom line is just to get to work, not worry about anything or anyone and just get to work and put to good use this hard work that we have done.
Kenton Gibbs with Locked On ACC. Coach Cristobal, you've had as many as uh, four players mocked as first-round draft picks in the upcoming draft. And the question becomes, because Miami has always had great players coming through, how do you materialize that talent into success and wins that are on pace with your and Miami fans' expectations? Well, absolutely. Well, I think it always starts and ends with personnel. So, you know, we don't pay much attention to the mock draft stuff, but we also at the same time make sure that any type of publicity and brand enhancement that we can have for our players, we emphasize. That's important. So uh, there's no question that we do have some really talented young men that are working really hard, and we're surrounding them with more and more and more. And when Miami looks a certain way, the locker room is littered with that caliber of player and person. And then also littered with a coaching staff that knows how to put personnel to good use, put guys in the right positions to make plays, making sure that we're teaching at a high level, that the onus of learning the system is as much on the player as it is a coach by doing it together. So it's as simple as that. And you know, our track record, we've had great success developing some guys to really high levels to go on and, and, and play long careers in the NFL. That's certainly a huge part of our goals, as well as the academic component and graduating with a big time diploma from Miami. All right, that is the head coach of the Hurricanes, Mario Cristobal, at ACC Media Days, looking mighty dapper in his nice green tie and a great high and tight haircut. He looked like he's 15 years old up there. Pretty impressive for the former Hurricane player, now head coach. Again, last year, his first season back in Coral Gables, it did not go so great for him, and he's trying to get it all fixed in 2023. As we said, the opening game for the U will be against the other Miami as the Red Hawks out of Ohio come down to Hard Rock Stadium for a game in prime time on the ACC Network. It'll be Friday, September 1st when Miami versus Miami goes down on the ACC Network. Another big game the following week. How about this one? Texas A&M out of the SEC. They march down to Hard Rock Stadium for a game on ABC in mid-afternoon on that second Saturday of the college football season. Florida's own Bethune-Cookman Wildcats come down for a game at Hard Rock Stadium on the 14th of December. The U goes back to Al Golden's old coaching stomping ground, Temple, and it's the U and the Temple Owls from Philly, September 23rd. Then they begin ACC play at Hard Rock Stadium against the always pesky Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets on October 7th. They're at UNC on the 14th of October. Then it's the Clemson Tigers on the schedule this year as Dabo brings the Tigers to Hard Rock Stadium, a place they got demolished in the, what was that, the Orange Bowl last year. Clemson and Tennessee played, and Tennessee just throttled Dabo in last year's game at Hard Rock Stadium. October 21st, Clemson and Miami. Miami stays in the South Florida for a game against UVA on October 28th. Then it's at Carter-Finley to take on the NC State Wolfpack. At FSU and the Seminoles on November 11th, then it's Louisville coming in to Hard Rock Stadium, and the U closes out its regular season at Alumni Stadium in Chestnut Hill against Boston College on a Friday after Thanksgiving, Friday, November 24th. And that's the schedule for Mario Cristobal and the Canes heading into the new season. He had a couple of his players on stage with him on Tuesday when he was speaking at ACC Media Days, I have no doubt that he's going to give everything he has to get that ship righted in Miami. And I think Manny Diaz did a 
fair job, but man, Miami wants a winner, and they're not going to get that from a guy like Diaz, who technically, I think he went to Florida State, was where he played his college football. So yeah, it's a it's an old flame coming back to light up the U in 2023. We'll see how he does. He, he better at least beat those Miami guys, the ones from Ohio, on Friday, September the 1st. We want to remind you as we go on in today's show, Hour 2, we're going to hear from the head coach of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets as Brent Key was at the mic on Tuesday talking about his Yellow Jackets as the white and gold are going to be counting on another former player for them, Brent Key, to come in and lead this program. So we'll hear from Brent Key, the Alabama native, in Hour 2, talk about Georgia Tech football 2023. And before we get out of here today, we're going to hear the, in Hour 3, commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference, Jim Phillips, was at the mic talking about various things, mostly financially related, and we'll have his comments coming in our final hour of the Y'all Show. Now back to some SEC talk for a second. Former Georgia, Georgia linebacker Adam Anderson was sentenced earlier this week in athens Clark County, Georgia Superior Court. He was sentenced to a year in jail after pleading guilty to the sexual battery of two young women. According to reports, April 2022, a grand jury indicted Anderson and charged him with raping a 21-year-old woman in a house in Athens in 2021. And then a second woman woman came forth and alleged Anderson sexually assaulted her in Oconee, Georgia, in Oconee County, which is Watkinsville, and the Rome, Georgia native, who was once considered a potential first-round choice out of Georgia, ended up being arrested back in November of 2021, and he has now been sentenced to one year in jail after he pled guilty to the sexual battery of these women in Georgia. Mm, tough story there. Also, want to tell you about Jim Harbaugh. He is evidently in a little bit of hot water. I know he's a Yankee, and this is Yankee news, but Michigan's been pretty darn good in football, y'all. This could be something that impacts Southern schools. The head coach of Michigan and the NCAA are in discussions about a so-called resolution for a four-game suspension for Harbaugh in the 2023. This all circles around an NCAA recruiting investigation into the Wolverine program in which Jim Harbaugh faces a level one violation, which is the most serious violation that the NCAA can hand out. And it's for not cooperating with NCAA enforcement. The first couple of games that Michigan's going to have, oh, by the way, <laughs> the Pirates of East Carolina, as Mike Houston takes the Bucks up to the big house, UNLV's on the schedule, Bowling Green and Rutgers. Rutgers would be a, a Big Ten team. I would think those are all winnable games quite easy for Michigan, if you had to ask me. But this is a developing story again. Nothing as of right now has been officially determined, but Jim Harbaugh, in a little bit of trouble with the NC2A. Some NFL news. Cornerback Trevon Diggs has signed a five-year, $97 million extension with the Dallas Cowboys. And it's a guaranteed 42.3 mil, by the way, according to reports. The Cowboys drafted Diggs in the second round of the 2020 draft. He led the NFL with 11 interceptions, tying franchise Record held by Everson Walls. And he has been quite a player 
on the defense for the boys in his time in Big D. So congratulations to the two-time Pro Bowl cornerback Trevon Diggs with a five-year extension that is worth a total of $97 million. And that's a great payday for sure, but maybe not quite as good as this guy. How about the pride of Atlanta, Georgia? He went to high school at Wheeler in Marietta. Jalen Brown of the NBA, as this week he has agreed to a five-year, $304 million Supermax extension. The Boston Celtics star has agreed to sign the richest deal in NBA history. This five-year, $304 million Supermax contract extension. So, way to go. He averaged career best of 26.6 points and 49% shooting in the past season of the NBA. His new deal allows him to make $31.8 million next season in the final year of his previous deal. And then this other thing, I guess, kicks in. But Jalen Brown, who played his collegiate ball, for the Cal Bears, how somebody goes from Wheeler High School in Marietta to Cal to play college basketball is a little bit strange to me, but sure enough, that's where he played, averaging about 14.6 a game during his time there in Berkeley, and then got drafted as the third overall pick in the 2016 NBA draft, and we know that Boston played in the NBA Finals this year. You might be familiar with his play as they got beat out. Don't did Boston? They got beat out by the the Heat. I'm sorry. They made it to the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Heat eliminated Boston. And then the Heat got squashed. Was it four straight games? I think the Nuggets ended up winning that thing. At least four to one or four zero. I've I've already forgotten most of the NBA stuff for the past season. But yes, congratulations to Georgia native Jalen Brown, the three hundred million dollar man. $304 million to be exact, in the NBA. When the Y'all Show comes back, we're going to scoot over and give you the latest hashtag hullabaloo of the day. We've got some social media fun that we're going to share with you, and we're going to do that right after this. Again, you can connect with us, mail, M-A-I-L, at y'all.com. We'd love to hear from you. And y'all will be right back. We want to hear you here at Super Talk 93.1 on shows like The Y'all Show, The Patriot Pastor, and The Frankie Lack Show. We've got a text line that you can text us and participate in the program. That number is 731-410-7560. And the Super Talk 93.1 text line is powered by See Me Tree Service. They are a West Tennessee-based company, and they will help you with any of your tree removal problems, tree trimming, tree elevation, pruning, tree topping, stump grinding, and more. They're a small family-owned business that's licensed and insured, and you can call See Me Tree Service for a free estimate. Call them at 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. For all of your tree removal or tree issues going on, give them a call for that free estimate. 731-617-2236. See Me Tree Service. Powering the Super Talk 93.1 text line. Good time since you know when. Got to 
into going out with hopes you were staying in. I was feeling like myself for the first time in a long time. Till I bumped into some of your friends over there talking to mine. Then you rolled in with your hair in the wind, baby, without warning. I was doing all right, but just your side had my heart storming. The moon went high and stars quit shining. Rain was driving thunder lightning. You wrecked my whole world when you came and hit me like a hurricane. Yeah, that would been a good song to play in the last segment. We were talking about Mario Cristobal. And the Miami Hurricanes. Thank you, Mr. Combs. It's time now as we close out our first hour of today's y'all show to give you a little hashtag hullabaloo fun. That's where we go on social media and dig up just the dangest things out there. And one of the things we just pulled up is from Investing Magazine. Investing Magazine provides all kinds of lifestyle, food, fashion, traveling, much, much more to their audience at Investing Mag. And they put a graphic up that caught our producer's attention here at the Y'all Show. It's a graphic called Walmart Nation. And Investing Mag tweets out, here's a collection of maps that will show you the United States from a totally new perspective. And this map that they've got attached is Walmart Nation. Did you realize that Walmart is the largest private employer In 22 of our 50 states, 22 of 50 states, Walmart is the largest private employer. And when I look at this map of this Northwest Arkansas-based company, Walmart is the largest private employer of every single southern states with, with two exceptions. There are two exceptions in the South. So Walmart's your biggest private employer in Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri. It's, of course, in Arkansas, the private biggest private employer. It's home base. Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. Did I say Kentucky? Even in Virginia, it's the largest private employer. But there are two southern states where it is not the largest employer. Those two states are North Carolina and Maryland, the two biggest employers in those states, are medical-related. The University of North Carolina system, which I guess could be hospitals and the education system. I'm not exactly sure how they do it there in the old North State. It comes in as the largest private employer in North Carolina. The largest employer in Maryland is the John Hopkins Institutions, which we know from their extremely prominent health care, what they do there in Baltimore. But by far, Walmart is the largest private employer with 1.5 million employees in America, Walmart. Walmart's ability to offer thousands of employment opportunities coupled with its vast network of stores has solidified its position to be the leading private employer in 22 of 50 states. As the retail landscape continues to evolve, Walmart's dominance serves as a testament to its enduring influence and unwavering appeal. So, to Walmart's credit, they're keeping 1.5 million people employed, and they are 
the largest private employer in 22 of the 50 states of our great country. And I want to thank Investing Magazine for letting us in on just how big of a deal, if you didn't know already, Walmart is. And that will be our hashtag color blue for this hour of the Y'all Show. Hang on. We've got more Southern greatness coming in hour two. We've got headlines. We've got a look at Georgia Tech. We'll hear from the head coach of the Jackets, Brent Key, as he was at ACC Media Days on Tuesday. That, plus, will let you know why health care costs so much in our country. All that's coming up in our business spotlight, and all that is ahead in Hour 2 of the Y'all Show. Y'all desk, as we fill from this desk hours of coverage each and every day of what's going on across the southeast of the good old USA, 16 southern states. That's what we got covered here, Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Missouri, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West Virginia. We got you all covered here. If you're a resident are proud to be from any of those states. I think you'll like this show. If you are a Yankee or a Westerner and you're sitting here thinking, how could they have a show about the South? Well, we're doing it. And you can either jump on board and get your y'all on or you can you can go jump. No, I'm just kidding. We appreciate you tuning in, whether you're in the South or not or you're a Southerner at heart. We, we appreciate it all. Thanks for listening and being a part of our y'all show. Again, you can be a part by emailing us. Our email address is M-A-I-L, mail at Y-A-L-L dot com, mail at y'all.com. We also have a 24-hour-a-day text line that we encourage you to reach us if you would like to text us anytime, 615-208-4184, 615-208-4184. We are the Y'all Show, John Rawl. I am the general of all things Southern, and I take my commission as a general of the South quite seriously. So if you've got something... You want to pass along to the general, you're welcome to do that. You can text or email us. You can send us good things, bad things, things that maybe the rest of the world might not find important. But if you think it's important enough to share, then by me, all means, come on, let us, let us have it. Hit, hit, hit me now. Hit me. Hit me good. We're back here after a day off on Tuesday. As we told you in hour one, I had a little medical procedure that went down and everything's, I think, fine. I'm a little sore. And so hopefully I'll be able to get through this hour without any problems. The good news is I'm not all doped up. That's the one thing I thought would happen. I would have some kind of crazy medicine that would make me uh, not know who I was. But luckily, at least so far, everything seems to be going fine. So thank you, everybody. Again, my name is Joe Biden. I appreciate you tuning in. Just kidding. Now, I was teasing about the medicine. 
Now, medicine's fine. I'm good. Uh, John is my name, Johnny Boy. In fact, somebody called me, what did they call me just Tuesday? Somebody had called me, uh, I guess it was Johnny. Johnny, yeah, yeah, Johnny. And that's not a name that's often, not often given to me, except if somebody calls me Johnny Reb. I'll answer to that one. Johnny Horton would be proud of that song. Of course, that's his old song. But thank you all for listening. Let's get into the news headlines before we move over to Georgia Tech coach Brent Key. He was at the ACC Media Days on Tuesday. We've got audio from the first-year head coach of the Jackets. He filled in halfway through last year as an interim coach, but got the green light to be Georgia Tech's head man, and we got some audio from him at ACC Media Days in Charlotte on Tuesday. And other ACC news will be passing along this hour, including the Battle of Carolina will go down in Carolina to start the season, and College Game Day will be on hand at Bank of America Stadium for it. I'll give you all the juicy details in our Southern Sports Update coming up in a few minutes. And before the hour is up, we've got our Southern Sports, or rather, our Southern Business Spotlight of the week. And we got to go to CNBC and give them a lot of credit as Jaden Irby is a correspondent for CNBC. And she did a great report of why health care costs so daggum much in America. And so we're going to go in and hear her report as part of our Southern Business Spotlight, at least a portion of it. And I want to thank CNBC for helping explain why this stuff costs so much. As I said, I was in the hospital briefly on uh, Monday or Tuesday, I've already forgotten which day it was, causing me to miss Tuesday show. I promise I'm not on some kind of medicine, y'all, that at least is making me forget. I'm just, maybe I'm getting old. But we we know that that uh, is not going to be a cheap thing when I get that bill in the mail. You might have me off the air for a few days when I get that bill in the mail because I punched my hand through the wall. Let's hope that that's not the case. But I'm only telling you this because I guarantee you, almost all of you out there that are tuning in know exactly the kind of pain that medical care is in today's world. And it, how how could it be that way? How did it get to be this way? We'll discuss as part of our Southern Business Spotlight coming up later this hour. Let's get into some news headlines. And we start off with a guy that did not need to have medical care, thank goodness. Ron DeSantis on Tuesday was traveling with a caravan of people, a motorcade you would call it, in the Chattanooga area and on Interstate 75, just down the hill from Lookout Mountain at 8.15, right in the middle of rush hour traffic. Ron DeSantis and his motorcade got into a bit of a multi-car accident. It was a chain reaction crash, and it slowed I-75 traffic there in rush hour. On Tuesday, four cars in the motorcade hit each other. All the vehicles involved in the crash were government vehicles that were taking the Florida governor and 2024 presidential contender, taking him and his team to a scheduled event. Let me tell you, Ron DeSantis, where that wreck happened is right there on the Georgia border, too, on I-75. And as a guy who's been stuck in traffic right there more than once in my lifetime, you're not helping your cause to get votes in Georgia and Tennessee when you're causing a huge traffic jam in rush hour traffic there in northwest Georgia in the eastern corner of East Tennessee, Hamilton County. So that's not good for business, having a wreck causing a huge, huge 
jam there on I-75. The last time I tried to go through Chattanooga coming down from Nashville, my phone indicated that there was a big traffic jam just on the other side of Nickajack Lake. And so I decided to get smart because I was trying to go to Cleveland, Tennessee, which if you're coming from Nashville, you have to go through Chattanooga, go go down and go up the mountain next to the city, and then you go up and you connect with I-75, and you get on it toward Knoxville. Well, I thought I'd get smart and follow the little map thing that takes you around to the north side and keeps you off the interstate, and I, and I tried that, and it was... It was different. I wasn't on an interstate. I was on some really winding, mountainous back roads. I made it to my destination. But that's the problem with them there hills slash mountains in the Chattanooga area. It's not good for traffic. So that's why there are very limited options when you're trying to go in whatever direction you're trying to go to in a car going through Chattanooga, Tennessee. When there's a crash like this one caused by the DeSantis motorcade, it makes for some very upset people, and I can totally understand. Good news again, DeSantis was not injured. A female staff member suffered a minor injury in the crash and was treated at his campaign event, of which he was able to still go to. Maybe those people there will vote for him, but Ron DeSantis is having a lot of problems right now. His campaign is literally crashing, and I don't know if he's going to be able to get it fixed before it matters as Trump continues to dominate in polls. Three Marines have now been found dead in a car at a Speedway gas station in Hampstead, North Carolina. That's about 30 miles southwest of Camp Lejeune, where these three Lance Corporals were stationed. Cause of death have not been released. The Pender County, North Carolina Sheriff's Office is investigating. We do know the names of these Marines who have lost their life. A Marine, Tanner J. Kaltenberg of Madison, Wisconsin. He was 19 years old. A 23-year-old Marine from Pottawatomie, Oklahoma, Marax C. Dockery. And lastly, a Naples, Florida native, 23-year-old Yvonne R. Garcia. These three Marines found dead in this car at a gas station. The commanding general of the 2nd Marine Logistics Group, Brigadier General Michael McWilliams, said in a statement, My deepest sympathy and condolences are extended to the family, friends, and colleagues of Lance Corporal Kaltenberg, Lance Corporal Dockery, and Lance Corporal Garcia. Our focus is providing the necessary resources and support to those impacted by their tragic loss as they navigate this extremely difficult time. Again, these three found, mysteriously, dead in a car outside of a gas station in Hampstead, North Carolina, here this week. Real tragedy there. Looks like UPS is going to avoid a strike, as a strike seems to have been canceled, or a pending strike canceled. UPS and the union, the 340,000-person union that they have a contract with, looks like they have been able to come to an agreement. The agreement was announced Tuesday, the first day that UPS and the Teamsters had returned to the table after contentious negotiations were going on a couple of weeks ago, and it broke down. So according to the Teamsters, this is a historic agreement. Under this tentative agreement, which still needs to be voted on by the union members for approval, 
under this agreement that's proposed, full and part-time union workers will get $2.75 more per hour this year, and they'll get $7.50 more over the duration of a five-year contract. The agreement also includes a provision to increase starting pay for part-time workers, whom the union says are the most at risk of exploitation. It's going to go from $16.20 to $21 an hour for part-time workers, and the average pay for part-timers had been $20. According to the Teamsters president, Sean O'Brien, UPS put $30 billion more on the table due to the negotiations. And again, if you're counting on UPS, it looks like you should have them continue their service. I don't know what the backup plan would have been if they had indeed gone on a strike here in a couple of days. But the brown shirt folks are going to be still delivering packages, it looks like, if they all agree to this in a union vote. And you can count on whatever they've got coming to your doorstep to keep on coming as a UPS strike has been averted. Other headlines from across the southeast today. The state treasurer of Arkansas, Mark Lowry, is going to be stepping down. He's had a couple of really scary health issues in the last year or so. He had a pair of strokes in 2022, one in March of 2022, and then another one in June. And because of that, he has decided to retire effective September 30th. The state treasurer of Arkansas, Mark Lowry, stepping down. Also in the southeast here on this Wednesday, as we cover all things Southern, Jeremy Renner. Remember, he was in the news earlier this year because he had that terrible snow plow running over him happen out west. And he's lucky to be alive. Well, he's come a long way in a couple of months because Jeremy Renner, the actor, is now the owner of of Sweetgrass Vodka, and that is based in Charleston, South Carolina. Renner announcing that he's the new owner of Sweetgrass Vodka, the star of The Hurt Locker and the Marvel star, working with the company on plans for a cross-country bottle signing tour. His statement said, I'm so grateful for the progress I've made since the start of this year, which allowed me to move forward with my interest in Sweetgrass Vodka. Sweetgrass Vodka is potato vodka that is sourced in the state of South Carolina. In 2022, the brand was named Best Domestic Vodka by the 50 Best. Renner talked about Sweetgrass Vodka, saying their mission is rooted in community and shared experience, which is why the second I tried it, I knew I wanted to become a part of it. And boy, is he a part of it. Jeremy Renner, owner of Charleston, South Carolina's Sweetgrass Vodka. Made with Palmetto State potatoes. Now the question is, where are those potatoes coming from there? Because I'm a former Palmetto State potato picker. The potatoes we grew were sweet potatoes. Can you grow, can, can sweet potatoes make good vodka? Is, is that what this is? I don't know. I don't know enough about vodka. I didn't know vodka was being made in South Carolina. I thought the only... Really fancy, well-known alcohol coming out of South Carolina that wasn't moonshine, illegal moonshine, would be the sweet tea vodka. I guess that is a vodka. That was all the rage some 15, 20 years ago. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
and I tried it one time. It really did. It did, and I guess still does, taste like sweet tea, but it's it's a vodka. And it is made right there in the low country of South Carolina. I need to do myself a favor and make sure I tell the name of that company. It might be Sweet Tea Vodka. There's been a lot of Firefly, that's it. The original Sweet Tea Vodka, Firefly Spirits, is the company I was trying to come up with. Firefly is the name of that company, and I'm pretty darn sure they got started right there in north of Charleston, South Carolina, where they're located on Spruill Avenue. And they've been doing it a long time. And I remember having people try that stuff, and they're like, golly, that tastes just like sweet tea. And now they got a whole bunch of offerings coming out of Firefly. But uh, the story today is Jeremy Renner buying not into Firefly, but into Sweet Grass Vodka, a celebrity connection. Jeremy's fellow actress, we're going to feature her in a big way in our final hour today. Today is Virginia-born actress Sandra Bullock's 59th birthday. And we're going to talk about her and we're going to get a chance to hear an interview that Tracy Smith of CBS did with her on CBS Sunday morning earlier in the year as we spotlight this Oscar-winning, and she did it with a Southern movie, by the way, Oscar winner Sandra Bullock. And we'll give her plenty of love in our final hour as part of our Southern Southerner spotlight. I won't call it Southern history because I don't consider Sandra Bullock history because she's still making headlines. But we'll just give her plenty of love alongside other sports news coming in our final hour. But that is a look at some of the Southern news headlines of the day for our second hour of this The Y'all Show, Talk with a Southern Accent. I got one more thing I'm going to tell you in our final hour. The Big Peanut is back on I-75 in South Georgia. What in the world am I talking about? Well, make sure you stay tuned. This is our second I-75 story of the day. As I just told you in our headlines about... Ron DeSantis having a wreck on I-75 outside of Chattanooga. Now, I-75 in South Georgia making some headlines because of a big peanut. And, y'all, I'm going to tell you exactly what the heck I'm talking about in our headlines of the final hour. When we come back, we're going to scoot over and get our white and gold on. To hell with Georgia, you say. Georgia Tech head coach Brent Key was mad about them dogs when he was at the mic at ACC Media Days Tuesday. I'll explain. Plus, we'll learn more about this coach as he's entering his first full season as the head coach of his alma mater, Georgia Tech coach Brent Key. Up next, it's part of our Southern Sports Update for the second hour of y'all.
Uh, you know, you want to sing along to the Georgia Tech band? Are you a hell of an engineer? Welcome back in. It is Y'all, where we discuss everything Southern on this program, powered by Y'all.com, the South's homepage. We're on great radio stations. We're also available in podcast form here at the Y'all Show. You can find us in Spotify. We're on the iHeartRadio app, the TuneIn app. Plus, you can find us in Apple Podcasts and Apple iTunes. All of those options, you just simply search Y'all Show, and we're right there, free of charge. You can listen, you can share, you can pause, you can speed up, you can slow down. It's pretty fun, actually. And as a kind of a techie nerd myself, I love getting in the car and plugging my phone up to my system that I've got. I guess it's a CarPlay, I think it's what it's called. And when you hit the Y'all Show podcast in your car, the beautiful logo shows up on your dashboard. And you can sit there and hit the pause button and all the other things I said to, to skip forward or whatever you need to do. And it's pretty impressive. I try to impress people when I get in my car and they sit over there to the side. And we're going down the road and they look over there and they say, not me, but the y'all show. <laughs> That's what impresses them. I don't impress anybody. But the y'all show hopefully does. And we're happy that we're available on those various podcast options. You can also find the show at y'all.com. As I said, the South's homepage, we're right there with our more than 600 and now 20 episodes that we've accrued. And I didn't have to be an engineer to figure that number out. Now, Brent Key is a bit of an engineer. He's a alumnus of Georgia Tech. And at the Institute back in the 1990s, he was a good football player, the Alabama native. I think he is from the Birmingham area, I believe, is where he is from. Well, he was brought back to be part of Jeff Collins' staff, as this is our Southern Sports Update for hour number two. Jeff Collins was fired midway through last year. The Jeff Collins experience of being a head coach at Georgia Tech did not go well. That guy did a lot of talking, but he couldn't quite back it up. And the Institute letting him go. Brent Key comes in and has some big wins. It was a pretty good interim time for Brent Key, so much so that he gets the permission to take this program over as its full, full-time coach. And I'm excited to hear this guy. I'm, I'm wishing him well. Georgia Tech, and I know a lot about Georgia Tech, I, alongside my buddy Jonathan Lifehite, hosted Buzzline, which is an all-Georgia Tech show. I started it with Jonathan in 2007, I think it was, and we did that show for a good decade. And at one time, we even did it in Cumming, Georgia, at a great place there, Buffaloes. And so I've spent hours upon hours talking Georgia Tech sports, and I, I know a little bit about the Jackets. So it is really cool to see one of the Institute's own leading this program in 2023. I think he's going to have a good time. And you'll get a taste of what Brent Key has in store because ACC Media Days is underway this week in Charlotte. And it is just like what the SEC did last week, a chance for media to come interview various coaches, as you had on Tuesday, not only Mario Cristobal and Syracuse's coach at the mic, but Georgia Tech there as well Tuesday. Today, Pat Narduzzi of the Pitt Panthers, as well as Mike Elko, of Duke, Brent Pry of Virginia Tech, Mike Norvell of FSU, and Tony Elliott of UVA. They're going to be featured on the Wednesday 
ACC Media Days. The last day includes UNC, Clemson, Wake Forest, Boston College, and NC State. So a smaller number on day one, which would have been Tuesday, and that's why we've got Brent Key making his appearance in Charlotte at ACC Media Days. But this guy, again, did a pretty good job, in my opinion, taking over a program that had really been struggling. And he made some headlines. I don't know if we're going to get this in this clip. We're going to hear from Key in a second. But he is tired of hearing all about Georgia Bulldog football. That's the Jackets' biggest rival. To hell with Georgia, you would say, (laughs) T-H-W-G. And Georgia Tech's been on the losing end of five straight games to their arch rival. Clean old-fashioned hate ain't exactly that good of a contest, so much so that I think Key mentioned that it's not even considered one of the top 20 rivalries in college football right now, Georgia, Georgia Tech. And at the press conference, Key Tuesday said that it is annoying that Kirby Smart has done a great job, and he's told him we've got to do something about it. Now, when Key played at Georgia Tech from 1997 to 2000, back in the George O'Leary days, The Jackets beat Georgia three of the four times that he was a member of that team, including a 1998 win over Kirby Smart, the player, on the Georgia Bulldog defense. Since that time, Georgia has gone 18-3 against the North Avenue Trade School. And he knows that Georgia, your two-time national champion, is certainly a big Big challenge for his program he's trying to build. He even said Tuesday at ACC Media Days, what pisses me off is to look at its list of the 10 or 20 best rivalries in the country and to not have clean old-fashioned hate on there. That's bull, and he said another word. But at the present time, they're probably right. So we've got to do something about that. In fact, he brought alongside to Atlanta Yellow Jackets offensive lineman Jordan Williams, He's a Gainesville, Georgia native. I guess he's a red elephant playing there at Deshaun Watson's old high school in Gainesville. But Williams said he used to drive past the Georgia campus on trips to visit family, and he's always been frustrated by the Bulldogs' popularity, which you can now add two straight national titles to that, and says it gets on his nerves, but rivals are not. They're, in the, they're the best, and you've got to beat the best, and it's kind of burn-the-boats mentality, make everything all about that. That's the place... We want to be. Well, you know what, Jordan Williams, if you can win a national championship at Tech, then you, you've you done something. And you know what? Prior to this Kirby Smart last back-to-back national championship deal in Athens, the last team in the Peach State to capture a college football national championship at the FBS level, 1990s Bobby Ross coached Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets when they won – the Citrus Bowl, I think it was, and ended up being co-champions with Colorado that year. So, yeah, it can be done at the Institute, and Brent Key is going to try to do it here in 2023. He's going to try to at least get more victories coming. Again, he was at Tuesday's ACC kickoff, the kickoff to the kickoff Tuesday, and let's go in and hear the audio on this clip. is not the world's best, but hopefully you can decipher the first-year head coach of Georgia Tech, Brent Key. I've got some good guys on staff who are going to walk in that door in my, in my office, and they will not. And they're going to walk in and sit down. If they ever feel like there's anything about me that is different than who I really am, they're going to walk in and tell me. 
And I respect the heck out of you. That's who you want around you. You want people around you who aren't yes men. You want people around you. And I've got enough confidence in myself as a leader to be able to have those types of people around. Some, some people, some people are, are, are turned off by everyone that has an idea or you know, has answers to these things. Well, that's my job to make the final decision. All right, but I want people to have I want people to have a say. You know, as long as they're educated things that are being said and not just off the cuff stuff, I want those guys. That's how you succeed. You know, you're part of the society here. Yeah, that's, that's what's great about the United States. What's great about America well, it's the greatest country in the world. That's why the things we have here, to, you know, the people to be able to, to, to come to the United States to, to create more opportunity for themselves. And now look at him, he's sitting up there. Yeah, looks looks a little uncomfortable, but he, he, he's a trip. He's a trip now, guys. He's a trip. He is, he's hilarious, uh, and, and, and he's becoming a really really good football player. But he, he's just scratching the surface at it. He really is. You want me to give you the game plan? Come on. <laughs> It's, it's a, it's a, this is this is an exciting league. The ACC is an exciting league. You know, there, there's there, there's there's good quarterbacks in this league. There's explosive offenses in this league. You know, he has a history of of, of, of having that. You know, and to add another one to the league, it just adds to the it adds to the fun. It adds to the excitement of the league. It adds to the excitement of going and playing each week. You know, and that you have good competition that's coached well. Uh, that, that's going to believe in the same values. The, the coaching staff believes in the same values that you do as a coach of, uh, you know, discipline. And you know, whether you're throwing the ball 80 times a game or, or running the ball 80 times a game, that doesn't matter. It's like, what are the core beliefs you have, and do those things translate into success in the field? And that the head coach of Georgia Tech at ACC Media Days in Charlotte on Tuesday. A little reminder, in case you haven't heard, the ACC this year is ditching divisions. And that's why, if you look at Georgia Tech's 2023 schedule, they don't have the old typical foes that they often played out of the Coastal Division showing up on their schedule. It's it's really a blend. In fact, let's look at Georgia Tech's 23 schedule. They open up at Mercedes-Benz Stadium against Louisville. And that is a team from what would have been the Atlantic Division in the past. Louisville and Georgia Tech are a Friday, September 1st game on ESPN. They're at the home of the Falcons. Then the Bulldogs out of Orangeburg come over for a game on the 9th of September. That's South Carolina State. Willie Jeffries' team brings his team out of the MEAC to Atlanta to play at Bobby Dodd Stadium. Then the Jackets pack up their belongings and head to Oxford for Georgia Tech's very first game against the Mississippi Rebels, at least in Mississippi. They'd never played when they were in the SEC in Oxford. And now, this year, first time ever, Georgia Tech is taking on Mississippi and Lane Kiffin on September 16th. It's back to ACC play at a legacy legacy stadium? Why is it? I thought it was true. It used to be BB&T something, BB&T Field. Wake Forest definitely has changed their name of their stadium. I was not aware of that. Wake Forest is the opponent for Georgia Tech September 23rd in Winston-Salem. They're out of conference against Bowling Green September 30th there at Atlanta. And then back into ACC play against the Miami Hurricanes on October 7th. It's BC coming to Atlanta for a game October 21st. UNC is the opponent on October 28th. Virginia is the road opponent for Georgia Tech November 4th, a game at Scott Stadium. 
Georgia Tech's probably biggest rival in ACC play is Clemson, and Clemson and Georgia Tech get together at Memorial Stadium on November 11th. The Syracuse Orange are the home opponent on November the 18th, and then it's at Bobby Dodd Stadium on November 25th that Georgia Tech will try to do something they have not done this century. Beat the Georgia Bulldogs at home as the two-time defending national champs come in for a game that Saturday after Thanksgiving. And I'm sure Bobby Dye will have plenty of red and black to go along with the white and gold for that last regular season game. But that's the schedule for Coach Key. And a key part of this year's schedule is to get off the grind early and get going with games against Louisville and SC State, the Bulldogs before they get into that contest in Oxford against Lane, Kiffin, and company. We're going to hear from the commissioner of the ACC in our final hour, as Jim Phillips was at the mic in Charlotte Tuesday, and we'll find out what all he had to say about the revenue-sharing plan and more for the ACC. Now, one connection coming out of Charlotte, in addition to media days for the ACC, ESPN has announced that College Game Day, built by the Home Depot, is going to have its very first college game day of the new season it's going to broadcast from charlotte because on september 2nd the week one game features the acc's north carolina tar heels against the sec's south carolina gamecocks it's the duke's mayo classic at bank of america stadium and right there in uptown charlotte at Ramare bearden park college game day is going to be just down the street from Bank of America Stadium, the Gamecocks and Tar Heels are going to be your Saturday night broadcast on ABC's Saturday Night Football. So game day has actually originated from Charlotte three other times, twice for ACC championship games, and then they were also there for the season opener in 2021 between Clemson and Georgia. That was a heck of a game. So it'll be North Carolina's third appearance on college game day. And it's first since the uh, 2010 season. So congratulations to the Heels for sort of kind of having a role in this. I would say Shane Beamer and the Gamecocks also have more than an equal role of, of getting this college game day for week one to Charlotte. It's the Battle of Carolina at the home of the Carolina Panthers. That is exciting. And that's just weeks away, y'all, from happening. So get ready for college football. Speaking of college football, Michigan coach Jim Harbaugh looks like he's going to have a four-game suspension as he has been alleged to have had a level one violation by the NCAA. That's the most serious kind that the NCAA looks out against and for, and he may have a four-game suspension to start the year. Oh, by the way, Mike Houston and the ECU Pirates are one of those first four opponents as well as UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. I think Michigan is going to be just fine if Harbaugh is coaching or not. A couple of guys with big paydays here this week. Trevin Diggs has signed a five-year, $97 million extension with the Cowboys. He's guaranteed 42.3 mil, according to reports. Again, a very good cornerback for the Dallas Cowboys, Diggs, with an extension. And then a Georgia native, with a five-year, $304 million Supermax extension with the Boston Celtics. Congratulations to Jalen Brown with his huge contract. It is the largest deal, the richest deal in NBA history by this 
26-year-old Atlanta-born Wheeler High School in Marietta alum, also played his college basketball at Cal before going in the first round, third pick overall to Boston in 2016. Some, some big paydays coming for a couple of guys with Southern Connection. And that is a look at our Southern sports for the second hour. We'll have, again, Jim Phillips, ACC Commissioner, audio from him coming in Hour 3. And that is great to pass along, but we got more before we get out of here for this hour. When we come back, we've got a Southern Business Spotlight. Why the health care? Why does it cost so much in America? Well, CNBC's Jaden Irby has looked into it, and we're going to play a portion of a report that she recently filed. And that's coming up right after this break here on The Y'all Show. Are you and your honey, but the way you do, she goes, baby, it's all over now. All I want my baby to do, make five dollars and give me two, she goes, baby, it's all over now. Went downtown and bought me a rope, put my baby till she buzzed low, she goes, baby, it's all over now. Baby, what's the matter with you? You don't treat me like you used to do. She goes, baby, it's all over now. Oh, now, treat her right there, Mance Lipscomb. We're back on the Y'all Show, wrapping up hour number two. John Rawl is my name, and we are the show all about the South, and that includes making money in Dixie. And as I have said earlier in the show, I had some time this week in the hospital. And I'm checking my mailbox every day to see just how big my bill's going to be. And I, I hope I'll have enough money to pay for it. We all, if you've been hospitalized or have had any kind of medical woes here in the last decade, have been absolutely in fear of exactly what kind of cost is involved as you, the patient, have to end up paying a lot of money for health care costs. And the supposed greatest country in the world, the richest country in the world, we have, in some ways, a most screwed-up health system. And that Barack Obama sold us a bill of goods. And to his credit, I think that has helped. And if you are a beneficiary of that, great. But even Obamacare is still pretty messed up. Let's just be honest. So, in the spirit of health care cost, we here at the Y'all Show, have gone out and found an article posted at CNBC that one of the staff members of that cable news channel, Jaden Irby, she's gone out and done a feature story on the Yahoo, or rather YouTube page for CNBC. And it's an article called Why Medical Bills in the U.S. Are So Expensive. And we're going to go hear a portion of that from a few years ago, actually, when this was done. And it, you're going to learn some stuff maybe you didn't know about what exactly is the reason that medical bills in the country are so expensive. And this is part of our Southern Business Spotlight on this y'all show where we 
dive into some heavy stuff. And today we got a lot of heavy lifting when it comes to trying to make sense of medical bills in the good old Southland and across America. Today, the U.S. healthcare system is in a sort of tug of war between physicians, hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, shareholders, and insurance companies. The list goes on, but for this video, we'll just focus on these entities. Caught in the center of it all are the patients. We're often not able to provide the type of care that we want because of the cost of care. And those costs are now forcing a growing number of uninsured or underinsured Americans into traveling abroad for medical treatment. Everyone started thinking of healthcare as a business where the metrics were profit, return on investment, efficiency, and those aren't the metrics of health, but that's how we judge hospitals today. You would think that they would be looking out for your chronically ill children and, and the, you know, all of the medications and, and things like parking at the hospital. No, no, it's not covered. But before we get to all of this, let's rewind to understand how we got here. This chart is a pretty good place to start. The data shows healthcare spending versus life expectancy. The rest of the world pretty much stays the same course, but around 1980, the U.S. veers off. I like to say it's kind of the, the road to hell is paved in good intentions because everything we've done was in the name of better health. To be clear, growth in U.S. healthcare spending has slowed over the past few years, but it's still way higher than in other wealthy countries. Before government programs like Medicare and Medicaid, Blue Cross and Blue Shield were the main providers of health insurance in the U.S. At the time, they were nonprofits and accepted everyone who wanted to sign up. But at this point, it wasn't to control costs. It was really insurance in a worst-case scenario. And after World War II, employers started offering health insurance. Suddenly, demand was booming. From 1940 to 1955, Americans with health insurance went from 10% to more than 60%. That demand created a business opportunity, and for-profit companies started rolling in. Insurance was the first sector because it's in some ways the original sin in the sense of it separated the consumer from payment, right? So it felt like nobody was paying. By 1951, Aetna and Cigna were major players in the for-profit health insurance market. And in 1965, President Johnson established Medicare and Medicaid. This medical insurance for those over 65 will become effective July 1st. Even so, the for-profit insurance market continued to gain steam through the 70s and the 80s, capturing more and more of the health insurance market. Meanwhile, the first for-profit hospitals started popping up around the country. When Medicare and Medicaid started, there were none. But by 1983, one in seven U.S. hospitals belonged to an investor-owned multi-hospital system. By the 90s, Blue Cross and Blue Shield had merged, but they were losing money. Fast. And in 1994, they let their local companies turn to Wall Street to stay afloat. Hospitals, I think, were the first to realize, whoa, we can charge whatever we want for these things because it feels like no one's paying. But then, you know, there are all these doctors in the hospitals. They see all these business consultants coming in. They see the hospital CEO making, you know, $2 million a year. And they're feeling like, wow, we're suckers. You know, we're working our tails off here. And we want in too. Essentially, hospitals went from being run as a philanthropy to being run as a corporation. But these corporations aren't selling just another widget. They're putting a price on human health. 
The healthcare industry is now the country's biggest employer, and those employees need to get paid. Throughout all of this is private capital, and lots of it. You would think that if hospitals are becoming more efficient, the cost to consumers should go down too. But that hasn't necessarily been the case, and a lot of that has to do with the billing system. Of course, doctors need to get paid. There are admin costs and medical supplies and technology. But instead of this three-page bill you'd get in Belgium, medical bills in the U.S. look more like this. I am my son's secretary, and I spend a lot of time taking care of just just medical bills and phone calls and that type of thing. We talk a lot about the billers and the coders and the consultants who really are removed from healthcare. They're not there because they care about health. They're there because they see a business opportunity. And, you know, you can't blame them in the sense that that's what their companies are supposed to do. They're looking for business. So a collection agency that does healthcare, you know, to them, a bill is a bill is a bill. They don't care if it's for somebody's heart transplant or someone who was not very judicious and spent a lot more money on a Rolex watch that they couldn't afford. It's a bill. All right. That is a very educational report. If you go to YouTube on the CNBC channel, you can find this. It's called Why Medical Bills in the U.S. Are So Expensive. And we cut off several minutes more of this report. But I hope that gave you some understanding. And I had no idea until the lady just told us there that the medical industry is the largest industry for employment in the entire United States. And again, courtesy of CNBC, Jaden Irby is the lady, the correspondent that reported on that. And that's why we wanted to share it here to wrap up our two, a little bit of information exactly of why healthcare costs so dang much in this day and time. Are we going to do anything about it? I sure hope so. Well, that wraps up hour two. When we come back, we got another hour of the show that shakes the Southland. And I don't know if I'm going to save you money in hour three, but we're going to have a dang good time. We're going to talk ACC sports. The commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference was at the microphone in Charlotte on Tuesday. We'll hear from Jim Phillips. Also, we salute Sandra Bullock on this, her 59th birthday today. All that is coming up in hour three. Stay tuned. Hey, hey, we're back for our final hour on this Wednesday edition of the Y'all Show. John Rawl, the general of all things Southern, reminding you that you can catch the Y'all Show in podcast form. We're available on Spotify, TuneIn app, as well as iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Apple iTunes. Check, check out all those different options, and you can find us as well at y'all.com, the South's homepage. Just go there, and right on the homepage, you'll see a tab that says Y'all Show. And every one of our more than 600 episodes of this show about the South is featured right there. And it's an absolutely free listen for you. And listen up. Here in this final hour of y'all, we got lots of good information to pass along. We've got headlines from across the South to get to, including the big peanut is back in South Georgia. 
a hurricane knocked this thing down. But yeah, if you're traveling on I-75, good news, the Big Peanut is back. So don't wreck when you go by it. We'll have information on that and other headlines from across the southeast, including UPS drivers. Looks like you're going to have to keep working as the strike that possibly could have gone down for UPS has been worked out between the union and the United Parcel Service. We'll have info, some business news to pass along in our headlines to get this final hour underway. When we move over in a few minutes to our sports report, we've got Jim Phillips. He is the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference. And Tuesday in Uptown Charlotte, he was at the microphone at ACC Media Days. And he's going to come on and talk about the revenue gap that's definitely in place, about a $40 million difference from what ACC teams get versus the SEC and Big Ten teams. And what is he doing to improve the financial situation of his conference? The question was asked, and Jim Phillips will answer. We've already heard today from Georgia Tech's head football coach. That's Coach Key. We had him on, Brent Key, in hour two. And then we heard in hour one from Coach Cristobal. That would be Mario Cristobal of the Miami Hurricanes. So we've already had two football coaches from the ACC on today's show. And if you missed any of that, you can go back courtesy of the podcast option and listen to those great interviews, great features of our ACC coaches. As we're putting that front and center today on the Y'all Show, we'll have more ACC coverage on both the Thursday and Friday editions of the Y'all Show. We have other sports news as well to pass along in our sports report. And then we will be wrapping up the show today with a spotlight of the birthday girl, Virginia's Sandra Bullock. She's got a birthday today, turning 59 years old, the Oscar winner. And we'll uh, give you a better idea of some of the great movies she's been in. She's played a Southern lady at least once on film. In fact, that's how she won her Oscar, playing Leanne Tui in The Blind Side. But we'll find out more about what Sandra Bullock's up to as she was recently interviewed and featured on CBS Sunday Morning. Reporter Tracy Smith caught up with Bullock, and we'll play a portion of that interview in our Southerner Spotlight coming up later this hour. If you want to get in touch with us, hey, we've got a number you can text anytime you feel like it, 615-208-4184, 615-208-4184. And we are certainly welcoming all of your email. If you want to drop us a mail via email, it is mail, M-A-I-L, at Y-A-L-L dot com, mail at y'all dot com, making it real easy for you. We are the Y'all Show. Let's get into the headlines across the South today and a tragic story out of eastern North Carolina where three Marines were found dead in their car at a raceway gas station in Hampstead, North Carolina. The Pender County, North Carolina Sheriff's Office is investigating after they found the three men unresponsive over the weekend in their privately owned car at this gas station 30 miles from Camp Lejeune where they were stationed. All three men were Lance Corporals in the United States Marine Corps. The three men who lost their lives were Lance Corporals Tanner J. Kaltenberg, a 19-year-old from Madison, Wisconsin, 23-year-old Marax C. Dockery of Potawatomi, Oklahoma, and 23-year-old Yvonne R. Garcia of Naples, Florida. Investigation continues 
Again, these three Marines found dead in their car over the weekend, 30 miles from Camp Lejeune. UPS has reached a tentative contract with its 340,000 person union. And it looks like the threatened strike is going to be averted. And that's good news for everybody who counts on UPS deliveries. The agreement announced Tuesday, the first day that UPS and the Teamsters had returned to the negotiating table. They'd had some contentious negotiations earlier in the month of July, but it looks like it's going to be, according to the Teamsters, a historic agreement. That's how they're labeling it. Under the new agreement, which union members still have to vote on for approval, full and part-time union workers will get a $2.75 more per hour raise this year. And then they'll get a total of $7.50 added during a duration of a five-year contract. The agreement also includes a provision to increase starting pay for part-time workers, going from $6.20 to $21 per hour. The average pay for part-timers had been $20. According to Sean M. O'Brien, the Teamsters General President, he said that UPS put $30 billion more on the table due to the negotiations And he calls the deal, saying it sets a new standard in the labor movement. But I'm glad in some ways this thing looks like it's negotiated, and those brown trucks will keep on rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. Keep those deliveries coming. UPS, Union, FedEx, Memphis, non-union. And they get their job done, too. And they don't have strikes that I know of, at least. (laughs) And then you got the mail service, who I don't think they strike either, but boy, they sure do take a lot of vacations. The guy at the post office near me gets three months a year vacation. I think the lady that works there has got about two months, two and a half months vacation. Pretty good deal, don't you think? Elsewhere in our headlines from across the South today, we take you to Tennessee. And if you're looking to go Krogerin and Franklin, right there south of Nashville, and if you go to the Cool Springs Kroger location, you're not going to find anybody to check you out. I'm not talking about like going down the aisles where you're trying to get a date and getting checked out that way. I'm talking about when you got your groceries and you're ready to go and you want to go pay and you want to go through the checkout. This Kroger is ditching the tradition of cashiers and baggers, and this Kroger outside of Cool Springs Mall is going to be a complete all-self-checkout experience. This location in Williamson County, arguably the richest county in Tennessee and the southeast, frankly, it was selected because the rate of customers who were already using self-checkout was very high at this location. They're going to save a few pennies, it looks like. This Cool Springs location has also added several wide lanes to help accommodate shoppers with larger orders. Still, I'd love to take a poll. Do y'all really like self-checkout? I don't. According to Kroger, there are plans to make another Middle Tennessee Kroger a 100% self-checkout store. And that is likely coming to Hillsborough Village later this year. I wonder if that's the old H.G. Hills location that I used to go to a lot. I love H.G. Hills, if y'all know that. If you've ever been around Nashville in the old days... It was a classic Nashville grocery store that had locations throughout the city and that Hillsborough Village location. Got a few visits from me 
And I think that is now a Kroger. I think it's the one we're talking about. So that is the way, the world we live in, y'all. Self-checkout coming to this location in Franklin, Tennessee. Hope you enjoy it. You won't have anybody to yell at. <laughs> Jeremy Renner, he went from nearly being run over and killed by a snowplow machine thingy around Christmas time this year, out west where he lives, to now a true Charlestonian. The actor, known for The Hurt Locker and the Marvel series, has bought a Charleston-based vodka distillery, announcing that he has bought Sweet Grass Vodka, and he's got plans for a cross-country bottle signing tour. Jeremy Renner. Renner on social media says, I'm so grateful for the progress I've made since the start of this year, which allowed me to move forward with my interest in Sweet Grass Vodka. Sweet Grass Vodka is potato vodka that is sourced in the state of South Carolina, where it's grown, where it comes from. And back in 2022, Sweet Grass Vodka was named Best Domestic Vodka by... The 50 best. Renner's statement also included this that he put out there. Their mission is rooted in community and shared experience, which is why the second I tried it, I knew I wanted to become part of it. Sweet Grass Vodka, Charleston, South Carolina, now under the ownership of actor Jeremy Renner. I wonder if he's going to be hanging out on South Abroad, if he's an SOB, South Abroad kind of guy now, that he's got his own... Carolina vodka. <laughs> well, I guess he bought vodka, vodka in Charleston because the big peanut wasn't available. Yes. Once again, if you're traveling south on I-75, you're going to find Georgia's big peanut, a roadside landmark in South Georgia. And it's going to be av- available for you to see from now on. It was rededicated at the end of last week, after nearly five years of being down and out, thanks to Hurricane Michael. The giant peanut is made of sheet metal, not fiberglass, and it's part of the Ashburn-Turner County Chamber of Commerce as they raised nearly $80,000 to replace the giant peanut, which was first put up in 1975 until it was blown down by this hurricane that came through, remember that's the one that came through the Panama City area and devastated the Panhandle and into South Georgia. October of 2018 was when that thing came through. So this big peanut off of Interstate 75 is about halfway between Macon and the Florida state line. I guess it's north of Tifton. It's atop a brick pedestal. And it is a symbol of the county of which it represents Turner County in Ashburn, Georgia. Community leaders spent about $70,000 to replace the peanut. And they've been holding the remaining money for maintenance. But it's up there right now. It took workers, they combined about 800 hours to build the landmark back. It weighs around 5,000 pounds. And it's a big, big peanut. I don't have, they don't have the actual height of this thing listed for some reason. But you cannot miss it. Remember, if you've ever traveled I-75 from Atlanta going toward either Tampa or Orlando, it's the main southern route out of Atlanta going toward 
Florida, frankly, because the other interstate, well, 75 at Macon has a split. I believe it's I-16, and I-16 goes over towards Savannah. Then you can get on I-95 and go down from there. I guess that's the way to go to Jacksonville. But outside of extreme northeast Florida, I would think most people coming from the north, from the real north or even states north of Atlanta like Tennessee and Kentucky, if you're traveling I-75, you would travel it south of Atlanta toward Orlando, Tampa, Gainesville, Georgia, and all that. And so you're going to see this as you go down this year to the beach or, or, or later in the year if you're making your way. Again, this is about halfway between Macon and the Florida state line, so north of Valdosta, north of Tifton. And I love traveling that part of Georgia. There's just not a lot to see. There's a lot of farmland, to, to Georgia's credit. They have a variety of great farm choices, whether it's the Vidalia onions, the Georgia peaches, which are really struggling this year. I think I saw somewhere recently that there are no Georgia peaches because of the tremendous cold snap back in December really hurt the crop this year. But Georgia's still got plenty of other produce and more. And yeah, included in that, peanuts. And a guy named Jimmy Carter definitely made peanuts in Georgia a thing back in the day. But when you're passing through Ashburn, Georgia, check it out. The pride of South Georgia's peanut belt, you can find it, this gigantic peanut. And no hurricane's going to keep it down forever. So congratulations, Turner County, for getting this thing up. And it makes for a great selfie. And it goes along right near, if you are traveling the highways and byways of the South. Oh, yeah. You can add this to your collection alongside that picture of the Peach Water Tower in Gaffney, South Carolina, or the Florence Y'all Water Tower in Florence, Alabama. I'm trying to think of any other weird ones out there. Hmm. I'm sure I'm missing some. That's enough. That's enough. But yeah, congratulations. A feel-good story to wrap up our news headlines of today's Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to turn our attention to Charlotte, where the ACC Media Days kicked off on Tuesday, and the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference, Jim Phillips, took questions from the reporters on hand, and we're going to get his take on revenue sharing and more. It's part of our Southern Sports Report, and it is coming up right after this break here on the show that shakes the Southland. Mail at y'all.com is our email address. Listening to the call Fans going crazy for the boys that fall They didn't let just anybody in that club Took every ounce of heart and sweat and blood To 
Get to wear those game day jerseys down the hall. Kings of the school, man, where the boys are fall. Well, let's turn and face the stars and stripes. It's fighting back them butterflies. It's calling in the air around right. Yes, sir, we want the ball. And it's knocking heads and talking trash. It's slinging mud and dirt and grass. It's I've got your number, I've got your back. When your back's against the wall, you mess with one man, you've got a song. And Mr. Chesney getting us in the mood for a little pigskins flying in the air. We're just days away from the start of high school football across the southeast and only a few weeks away from college football really kicking off. In fact, the pro football players have already reported to camp this week across the NFL. So football is here, y'all. It is absolutely here. And if you don't believe me, well, how about this? The ACC is holding its media days. SEC already knocked it out of the park last week in Nash, Vegas. And then Charlotte, Vegas this week. The ACC gathered in Uptown Charlotte for its annual media gathering. On this, the Wednesday Y'all Show, we heard in Hour 1, Mario Cristobal, head coach of the Miami Hurricanes, Hour 2, We heard Brent Key, head coach of the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. This hour, instead of hearing from a coach, we have the commissioner of the ACC, Jim Phillips, as he was at the microphone on Tuesday talking about the conference and more. As the ACC Media Day is underway today, in fact, if you are able to tune in, you might see the following coaches featured. It's a busy day, as you'll have five teams throughout the day. Pat Narduzzi and Pitt, along with a couple of his players, will be at the mic. Mike Elko, who did a great job in his first year in Durham leading the Duke Blue Devils. He and Riley Leonard, his QB, will be there in Charlotte today. Virginia Tech, Florida State, and UVA. Those are the five teams that are part of day two of ACC Media Days. But on Tuesday, in addition to those coaches, you had Jim Phillips, The head coach, or rather, yeah, he's kind of the head coach. He's the head coach of the ACC. He is the commissioner of the Atlantic Coke Conference, and he was at the mic taking the tough questions. And we're going to go in and now hear a question that he got right off the bat, talking about the ACC's dismal revenue sharing. It's way behind other conferences like the SEC. And Phillips took a question, and we're going to hear him now talk about that and more. ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips on the Y'all Show. Instead of trying to get to a number, try to bridge it as far as you can. And I think how you get it done, you work collaboratively. And that's what, that's what we've done. And those two institutions have been terrific to work with. I mean, they have great leadership. Rick McCullough is a wonderful guy. Jim Clemens is a wonderful guy. They love sports. They love their institutions. But they, I know they also love the ACC and are trying to figure a way through. But it's all of our schools, right? All of our schools are incentivized to make sure that we have as healthy of a financial portfolio as we possibly can. So um, after the spring, if, you wouldn't have, you know, if we wouldn't have had any discussions or we wouldn't have come out with a success incentive initiative program, I may have felt differently. But the regularity of which the board is meeting now and the regularity of our ADs meeting, et cetera, 
and how good ESPN has been. They understand the volatility that there is, but they also are looking to grow financially based on some of their, you know, recent events. So you have a lot of mutually beneficial uh, outcomes in this thing. So staying together, working collaboratively, working strategically. And we have some other things that we're working on. I, I can't address with this group right now that are pretty exciting to try to address that revenue gap. Hey, Jim, David Hale with ESPN. Uh, you talked about lobbying the, uh, in, in D.C. regarding NIL. I know some of the uh, potential options that are out there would include a third-party government uh, entity that would oversee this. How comfortable are you with the idea of sort of outsourcing NIL oversight to a third-party government-run organization? Well, we've got to look at all of our options. If that ends up being the best one and everybody is you know, in line with that, then, then you have to do it. Then you have to do it. It starts to get, you know, you start to get leakage about kind of controlling your organization and the association and making decisions when you go to Washington. So there's always some danger there. Um, but we have to do some things differently. And so if it ends up being in that kind of structure as you described, David, then we're going to have to do it. Hi, right, Kenton Gibbs, Locked On ACC. Um, you talk... You talked a lot about uh, where you are in terms of the conference and, and looking at growing and expanding and bridging that gap. One of the biggest fish that's out there that people constantly whisper about with the ACC, a team that's on that slate of televised games for the ACC is Notre Dame. Is there any progress towards getting Notre Dame to join as a full member with football as well, or is that not something that's on the table at the moment? Yeah, another really good question. We, we've had a lot of conversations, let me just put it bluntly, with Notre Dame. And they've been very clear. They, they value their independence. Uh, and I think they feel strongly that that will continue well into the future. If they ever have the desire of joining the conference, they know that there's a, we would welcome them with open arms. But I think, you know, I can't speak for, for Jack right now and Pete in the future or, or Father John, uh, but I think it's been a healthy relationship both ways for the ACC and for Notre Dame. Um, their sports, their, other than football, I think have thrived in the ACC. I think they really enjoy the academic prowess that the ACC brings as well. Uh, but they've been pretty clear about their desire to stay independent. So I don't see that changing anytime soon. Hey, Jim, Luke T. Cock, Raleigh News and Observer. Curious, you mentioned the, the revenue distribution and all those things. Did kind of having all of that come out at Amelia Island into the open with everybody discussing it change in your mind the sort of mood in the conference about some of this stuff? Was there a tangible change since May in terms of addressing the future of the ACC um, that, that you saw? Luke, I really believe it helped us. I do. It was painful to go through. Um, nobody liked it. But it really started to develop this honesty and candor, not that it hasn't been an honest group before, but, but more candor than anything else about, hey, here are the issues we have, or here's what we're concerned about. And I think that's healthy. I think that's healthy in organ any organization. And you can maybe have, to have it at the coach level or at the AD level, but when it's at the CEO level with our presidents and chancellors, um, I think that, ha that has helped us come together and understand these are some of the things that we have to address. And then, as I mentioned a little bit ago, I think the frequency, Luke, of us now getting together, we, we meet once a week now. 
um, you know, sometimes more. Uh, and then, you know, if we don't have anything to go over, we can cancel the meeting. But it's on our, uh, on our uh, CEO schedule. Um, and even throughout the summer, we've had, to me, more meetings than my first two summers with the league by far. I think double uh, even combined the first two years. So they're attentive, they're aware, there's lots of discussion going on. So at the end of the day, uh, I think you turn a, a tough situation into a positive one. And that's the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference. I think he's been on the job about two years now. Jim Phillips, he took over for a guy who had a lot of experience at UNC as a student athlete himself and then going on and working in the administration at UNC. John Swafford, he retired, and Jim Phillips has become the commissioner of the Atlantic Coast Conference, and that was Phillips on Tuesday in Charlotte at ACC Media Days 2023, covering a lot of topics there. And you heard him talking about revenue sharing, of which the ACC is far behind compared to other Power Five programs, at least. And then he got the question about Notre Dame. Who does Notre Dame think they are? I mean, come on, Notre Dame. Who do you think you are? They have the opportunity to be in the ACC. They are in the ACC in every sport but football. They have this agreement with the ACC where they play five games, I think it is, a year against ACC schools. And they still don't want to join the conference. They're still that sophisticated. They're, they're so important that they have to be independent. I mean, their rivals from L.A., USC, has now joined the Big Ten. And Notre Dame, which is in Big Ten country, can either join that league or join the ACC, which, is, according to Phillips, is a very good fit, but they, according to him, are very much, for the foreseeable future, fixated on remaining independent in college football. Even BYU, which chose to be independent a few years ago, is joining the Big 12 this year. I think the only, I mean, I really probably shouldn't be guessing here. Let me try to pull it up here. When I look up this year's independent teams, there's probably only going to be about three or four. Bear with me here, y'all. <laughs> I do love the fact that now we're past July 1st. Most of your major websites kind of reboot the standings. And so you're not still stuck on last year's football standings for the various conferences. So <laughs> that's that's a good thing. So I'm looking at independence of college football. Here are your college football independents. The powerhouses of Army, UConn and UMass, and Notre Dame. So this year there are only four FBS independent programs. The Minutemen, the Huskies, the Black Knights, and the Fighting Irish. There's a reason why you don't have independence in football. Look at the Black Knights of Army. Truly a great college. Truly a prestigious college football program if you look at its history. Do you know where Army West Point is starting its season this year? I don't think Mr. Left, Mr. Right would be overly proud of this schedule. And no offense to all of our friends in Northeast Louisiana, 
They start their season at Terry Bowden's Louisiana Monroe Indian Warhawk program on September 2nd. They're at ULM. They got Delaware State coming in for a game at Mickey Stadium on the banks of the Hudson. Then they travel at UTSA. They're at Syracuse. That That's a good game. Then they play a couple of other teams like BC. They're playing Troy. They're all the way in Death Valley against LSU. That's pretty cool. They play their fellow independent in UMass. Air Force, Holy Cross. They, they, got, they got two FCS teams on their schedule, for goodness sakes. They got Holy Cross, then playing Coastal Carolina before they played Navy. This is a terrible football schedule. And the reason it's terrible, because they're an independent. And I don't even want to get into what in the world UMass might have on its schedule. I mean, just for fun's sake, for blanks and giggles. Here's UMass's football schedule this year. You ready for this one? At New Mexico State, at Auburn. Then they got Miami of Ohio, Eastern Michigan, New Mexico, Arkansas State, Toledo, at Penn State, at Army. Then a team that I don't even recognize, it's Merrimack. Is Merrimack even a Division I school? They're playing Merrimack, for God's sakes. And then they're at Liberty, and then they play UConn. Hmm. Not exactly a stellar schedule. And UMass, not all that long ago, I think, was in a conference. I believe they might have been. Hmm. Were they in the. Were they in the MAC ever? I'm thinking they might have been. But you just don't want to go that route. You want to have a chance to be in conference, for goodness sakes. And Notre Dame hasn't gotten that memo. I mean, I guess I should pick on their schedule for a second. As I said, they do have the agreement where they play five ACC teams a year. Notre Dame's 2023 schedule includes – it's coming. They got Navy to start the season off. That game, I believe, is going to be in Ireland. August 26th on NBC. The week before football really starts, they were going to play Navy. And, heck, I think they lost that game, I think, last year. Or they lost to somebody. They might have, might have lost to Georgia Tech over in Ireland or it was something like that. Navy, then, I mean, I'm sorry, Notre Dame then plays Eddie George and the Tennessee State Tigers on September 2nd in South Bend. Tennessee State and Notre Dame. Now, that's some must-see TV. In fact, it's going to be on NBC September 2nd. Hmm. NC State's on the schedule. Central Michigan. They got Ohio State, Duke, Louisville, Southern Cal, their rival, Pitt, Clemson, Wake, and Stanford. So that's a pretty good schedule. And by the way, a legend in Notre Dame passed away this week as the former quarterback and a Chicago Bear great passed away at the age of 98 and a Heisman Trophy winner, Johnny Lujak, the 1947 Heisman Trophy winner at Notre Dame who was a quarterback with the Bears, he died this week. 98 years old. Wow, we just had a Georgia great pass away around that same age earlier in the year as well. Let's give you some other information. Speaking of Georgia, we've got some of the not-so-good news coming out of UGA's football program. Former Bulldog linebacker Adam Anderson was sentenced this week in Athens-Clark County, Georgia Superior Court to a year in jail 
And this is after he pleaded guilty to sexual battery of two young women. As a grand jury back in April of 2022 indicted the former Bulldog player and charged him with raping a 21-year-old woman in a house in Athens. And later a woman, another woman, came forward and said that Anderson sexually assaulted her in Oconee County, Georgia, which is right next to Clark County. He's a native of Rome, Georgia, and he was considered at one time a potential NFL first-rounder. But unfortunately, he got in trouble off the football field, and former Bulldog linebacker Adam Anderson off to jail now for a year as he has pleaded guilty to sexual battery of two women in Georgia. We move on to other stories across football. How about Jim Harbaugh? It looks like he's going to have a four-game suspension. That's what reports are saying. And this follows level one violations that the NCAA has come up with, recruiting violations in his program. These are the most serious infractions a team can have, and it's for not cooperating with NCAA enforcement. And he's going to likely sit out the first four games on Michigan's 2023 schedule, Those games are East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. A couple of Southern connections making big money, making big paydays on Tuesday. Trevon Diggs of the Dallas Cowboys, a cornerback on that NFL team. He has signed a five-year extension that is worth, according to estimates, $97 million. It includes a $21.25 million signing bonus. He's guaranteed in the deal $42.3 million. Not a bad payday for Trevon Diggs of the Dallas Cowboys. That's a good payday, but it wasn't quite as good as Boston Celtics star Jalen Brown as he agreed to sign the richest deal in NBA history on Tuesday. It's a five-year, $304 million Supermax contract extension. Jalen Brown, the Atlanta-born and Marietta-raised. He went to Wheeler High School in Marietta, Georgia. Now the richest player, at least contract-wise, in the NBA. He played at Cal in the Pac-12. He was actually a first-team all-conference player and freshman of the year in the Pac-12 conference when he arrived out there to play basketball in the 2015-2016 school year and went to the NBA draft in 2016 as a first-rounder, Boston's third overall pick in that draft, and it's paying off. Jalen Brown, congratulations on a humongous payday out of the NBA. And I'm reading a little bit more about him. He's a vegetarian, and he knows Spanish. He loves to study history and meditation and philosophy. His daddy, Marcellus Brown, is a professional boxer who was the uh, 2016 WBU world champion. How about that? Again, a very, very rich NBA star now, Jalen Brown. He took his team, helped take his team, I should correct myself, to the Eastern Conference semifinals in 2022-23, but ended up And Game 7, remember, it was the Miami Heat that somehow (laughs) overcame a choke, almost choke job, and they ended up somehow pulling out and going to the NBA Finals where they would be defeated relatively easy by the Denver Nuggets.
And that is your Southern Sports Report here for this final hour of the Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to switch over from sports to the entertainment world. And we've got a Southern superstar that's celebrating her 59th birthday today. Happy birthday, Sandra Bullock. I'm going to tell you more about the Virginia-born actress. And we're going to hear an interview that she did for CBS Sunday Morning. And that is going to help us close up this Wednesday edition of the show that's all Southern the Y'all Show, and we'll be right back. We're back here on the Y'all Show where we discuss all things Southern with you. And that includes when we Southerners have big birthdays. And today, July 26th, is the birthday of one Sandra Annette Bullock. As she's 59 years young today, the American actress and producer who has received numerous awards and nominations, including an Academy Award and a Golden Globe Award. She was once the world's highest paid actress and has been named one of Time's 100 most influential people in the entire world. Sandra Bullock, born on this date in Arlington County, Virginia, back in 1964. She was born the daughter of a German lady named Helga Matilda, an opera singer from Germany. And her daddy is John Wilson Bullock who died in 2018. He was an Army employee and a part-time voice coach, originally from Birmingham, Alabama. And her daddy was in charge of the Army's military postal service in Europe, stationed in Nuremberg, where he met his wife there, Sandra's mother, and they married in Germany and ended up returning to Arlington, Virginia, where her father worked with the Army Material Command before becoming a contractor for the Pentagon, And Sandra, for 12 years, was raised in Nuremberg, Germany, as well as Vienna and Salzburg, Austria, and grew up speaking German. But born in America and got a GI daddy, she attended Washington Lee High School, and that is in Arlington, Virginia. She was a cheerleader and performed in the school theater productions. After graduating in 1982, Sandra Bullock, attended East Carolina University, Greenville, North Carolina. Go Pirates! She received a BFA in drama in 1987. She performed in Peter Pan and the Three Sisters while in Greenville. And she would go on to move to Manhattan, the one in New York, 
and she got a job as a bartender and a cocktail waitress and ended up as the story goes often she she got her lucky break ultimately the films that Sandra Bullock has been in her first role was 1987's Hangman she went on to play in a bunch of other movies like Demolition Man she was in the 1994 film Speed A Time to Kill that's a great movie 1996 she was in Hope Floats alongside Harry Connick Jr., where she played a good Texas lady, Bertie Pruitt. I believe that movie was set in Texas. She was in Gunshy, 28 Days, Miss Congeniality, a bunch of movies in the early part of the 2000s. The movie that she got her most acclaim for was The Blind Side, where she played Leanne Tui. That was out in 2009. And she's been in movies here in the last few years, like Minions, she was in Ocean's 8, Bird Box, The Unforgivable. Her last film role was Bullet Train, where she played Maria Beadle in 2022. She's also appeared in television shows like Bionic Showdown back in 1989. She was on a TV show called Working Girl, playing the role of Tess McGill. And she was on the George Lopez show. She appeared on three episodes as Accident Amy in the early 2000s. Sandra Bullock, today her 59th birthday. CBS Sunday Morning recently caught up with the Virginia-born actress, and we're going to go in now and hear a portion of the interview that the reporter for CBS, Tracy Smith, did. And you're going to hear a little bit more about the, the background, the style, and more of the birthday girl today, Sandra Bullock, as we close out today's Y'all Show. I have gel in my hair. I haven't slept all night. I'm starved and I'm armed. Don't mess with me. Of course, she's also known for her brand of physical comedy. I'm fine. I'm cool. I'm good. It's something she says she learned at an early age, thanks to her mom. My mother had no sense of humor, unless you hurt yourself. And then she would laugh her ass off. So I realized the way to my mother's heart was through physical comedy. So you would do practice. I would fall all the time. And it's fair to say, the film world fell for her. She's made four dozen plus movies. Oh my God! Why are you making it? Earned countless accolades. You protect his blind side. When you look at him, you think of me. But also had her share of some real world grief. Play along with me on a scale of one to ten. Mm -hmm. How's life now? I'd say it's, you know, it's it's my life, so it's about a 9.2. That's very specific. Why 9.2? Because the other shoe will drop. All right, that's Sandra Bullock again. Today is her birthday. I encourage you to go to CBS Sunday Morning on YouTube and find that interview in its entirety. Again, the Virginia-born actress. Today is her 59th birthday and some memorable roles for sure for the talented East Carolina University alumnae, Sandra Bullock. Well, thank you for joining us here on this Wednesday Y'all Show. We'll be right back at it on Thursday with more Southern fun on this, the show that's all about the South, the Y'all Show. John Rawl signing off and saluting you for being a part of our fun. Our website, y'all.com, podcast available on Spotify, the TuneIn app, as well as iHeartRadio. Apple Podcasts, and Apple iTunes. Until we see you 
Again, thank you and have a great rest of your day.